Well, good morning. Happy New Year. Who's ready to hear the discipleship vision for 2024? All right. So there are, I think, if we wanted to just narrow it down, I guess first I should say, if you don't know, my name is Nathan. I am the discipleship director of Church of the King. And I, we've been rejiggering our whole approach to discipleship and to some of our programs. And I wanted to spend a little bit more time talking about that. So I'm going to do that first today real quick and then get to the sermon proper. But I would say there are two things that define us as a church. Like if you just had to boil it down, I think there are two things. And it's on our website. We, our, our little catchphrase is something like follow the king find community, I think, or something along those lines. I don't know. It has king and community. And I think that those are the two things that we are into as a body. I think we all are here because we love the king, because we love Jesus, because we want to grow and learn and go deeper in obeying and loving him. And I think number two, something that by God's grace makes us distinctive as a church is community. We want to not just love and obey Jesus on an individual level, but we want to do it together. We want to do it as a family. We want to weep with those who weep, laugh with those who laugh. We want to be accountable to each other, encourage each other. I think if you're here, there's a good chance you have a a vision for that. And that's certainly something that we have a vision for as a church. So in evaluating all the different programs and things like that that we do, we, we sort of asked, like, how do they fit into that? And we began to see, as we talked as a staff and with various ministry leaders and volunteers, that we do not actually have a place outside of Sunday morning, which is obviously the most important place, but outside of Sunday morning, we don't necessarily have a place on a regular basis where we can all come together as a church and learn and grow and have fun together. We have places where we separate off for men's group or women's group or King's Kids or whatever into little grouplets, but we don't just have a place where we can all kind of grow and learn together as a family. And so the solution to that is a monthly Sunday night event. I don't have a name for it yet. I wanted to call it The Gathering. Jake said if we call it The Gathering, then it will sound like we're going to go down into the basement fellowship hall and eat green bean casserole and like a bucket of KFC or something like that. He said that that would be super lame. And I have to agree, The Gathering does sound like that. So we're not going to call it The Gathering. We're going to call it something super cool that we haven't thought of yet. We have a couple ideas. But um, anyway, it'll be monthly. It will be Probably the first Sunday, in fact, not probably, it will be the first Sunday of every month in the evenings. And it will be a time for us to all come together as a church and learn and grow together. So if you want to picture it, you can picture this platform and Jake and Nathan and Ben are up here and we will have a discussion about a big topic that everybody in the church would like to know about. It could be something doctrinal, like what is the Trinity? It could be something like a felt need, like why do we suffer? Why do we die? We have a lot of suffering and death and 
you heard Jake just pray about some of it in our church. It could be something kind of that combines both things, like is God sovereign and how does that affect my witness? How does that, it could be any number of things like that. And anyway, we'd have a big topic, we'd kind of talk through it, and we'd try and do it in a way that would be accessible for the whole family. So we want mom and dad to take something away from this. We also want Junior to take something away from this. And we want pretty much everybody that's in this room to be able to come. Maybe we'll have nursery care. But we want to do it for everybody. We want you to be driving home and be able to talk about whatever this topic, the month's topic is, with your kids, right? We want to make it fun. So I think that there might be, I don't know exactly, we're still planning it, but there might be breakouts, there might be skits, there maybe we'll make Jake dress in a funny costume, maybe I'll get my sound effects board from my podcasts, if you've ever listened to any of those, and bring it in. But we want to make it fun, and one of the reasons we want to make it fun is because, as, as some of you heard me say in the budget meeting recently, outreach and discipleship shouldn't be two totally different things. We would like this to be the kind of thing that you can invite people to. And what we found is actually our deeper family time is some of the times that are most good for inviting people. People have come into our church through men's group, through women's group, through King's Kids. You might, you might, you might be tempted to think, well, we're going deeper, we're being more intimate, there's going to be more inside jokes, whatever, and a thing like that. And so that's not the thing that you invite people to. But actually, we've seen time and time again just the opposite, that people really are attracted to the intimacy that we can have on a thing like that, the depth that we can go to, you know, all that kind of stuff that, by God's grace, someone I hope would be attracted to if we're doing it well. So basically, there'll be a Sunday night thing. It won't be called The Gathering. It will be once a month on the first of the month. The first one's going to be Feb the first week of February. And that obviously... So that's the, that's the headline. That's the thing to remember if you don't remember anything else. But it does affect a few other things, so I'll talk about it very briefly. King's Kids and the Ark obviously can't meet that Sunday as they normally would. So they will meet the second and third Sundays of each month. And they'll actually be talking about whatever the topic is for that month. They'll be going deeper with those individual groups in age-appropriate ways. And then the fourth Sunday of the month, we actually won't have programs, but we will keep that free for you to have a time with your family where we hope you can actually continue to chew on this. And maybe we'll provide some scripture or an activity or some, some suggestions like that so that you can, basically the whole church can spend the month chewing on something, a little bit filling the gap that you know, if we had the space to have a Sunday school, if we, you know, it's nice to be able, we have the preaching of the word on Sunday mornings. Obviously, that's the most important thing. But there's other places where we'd like to grow and learn and go deeper and other things that we'd like to learn about. So this is a way of kind of accomplishing that as a big family and maybe giving some tools to your family to do that. So that's a lot. Does that all make sense? Okay. Cool. So, so basically, just to sum up, there will be a monthly thing. It won't be called The Gathering. We'll be taking January off to revamp everything and, and do this. I, I wish we could have launched in January, but it's just the last year was crazy, as you know. Um, we want everybody to have the tools to go deeper in loving the king and being a community and inviting people to the community. 
And I'm really excited about it. Jake's excited about it. Ben's excited about it. Um, talk to us with your questions, with your ideas. If you have an awesome name for it that doesn't make it sound like grandma's green bean casserole will be there, then please let us know. Okay, so that, that is discipleship for 2024. Now, the real sermon. I have a big bag of candy over there, kids, which I will be handing out afterwards. And I designed the first part of this sermon, especially for you kids. It's going to be awesome. I was thinking about what I wanted to do, and I remembered that the kids were going to be in the service. And so I thought, I know what I'll do. I'll do my famous impression of Bozo the Clown. Are you ready for this? All right. It's actually a, not a very good impression of Bozo the Clown. I never went to clown college, unless you count the classes that I took at IU. Um, but I'm going to do an impression of Bozo the Clown, and I need you to help me out, kids. I need you, let's see, after I do the impression, I need you to say, don't be Bozo the Clown. And I need you to say it really annoying, like, don't be Bozo the Clown. So, so let's try it. One, two, three. I heard the kids and most obnoxiously of all, my wife, say that. All right, I think we need, we, we need the adults to help them out. So one, two, three, really obnoxious. Okay, I love it. Very obnoxious. Okay, so here's my impression of Bozo the Clown if he was your dad. I'm Bozo the Clown. My name is Bozo the Clown. Uh, what's the smallest amount of love that I can give to my kid? I, I'm supposed to love my kid, but I want to know what the minimal amount of love that I can give and still be godly, because I'm Bozo the Clown. All right, thank you. All right, now, don't just want to pick on the dads. I'm going to do an impression of Bozo the Clown if he was a kid. And this is some amazing clown work, right? We could all agree, like, if I'm available for parties, whatever you need. All right, so put on my red nose, do, do a little prop work here. Um, well, I don't have any real props, but uh, I'll do. All right, this is Bozo the Clown if he was a kid. My name is Bozo the Clown. I'm supposed to obey my parents. The Bible says I'm supposed to obey my parents, but... I only want to obey them the smallest amount that I can get away with. So what's the least amount that I can get away with? All right. Final amazing impression. Man, it's just like I transform, isn't it? It's like you, you, there's no more Nathan. There's just Bozo. <laughs> Bozo, the clown, as a Christian in general. How much does God really want me to be a Christian? How much do I have to do? What's the bare minimum that I can do? I'm Bozo the Clown. Honk, honk. Okay. Man, that's exhausting. Okay. I'm not picking on anyone in particular. I'm not, this is not a sermon for dads or kids or, well, it is a sermon for Christians, I guess. But we are all tempted to be Bozo the Clown in some ways, right? We are all tempted to do the bare minimum, to not be wholehearted in the way that 
we love God and the way that we love each other, you would never actually say, unless you were a real Bozo the Clown to your wife, like, well, honey, I know I'm supposed to love you, but I want to know what the least amount of love that I can give you is, and you'll still accept that as love. Because obviously, I'm, I don't want to do the maximum. But just, I, I don't, it's not that I don't want to love you, honey. I just, what's the bare minimum I can do so that you will feel loved, your emotional needs will be met, and we will be good? We would, no one would be dumb enough to say that in those words. But every husband can probably relate with that feeling a little bit. Like, okay, what is the... I don't actually feel like loving her today. Every kid can relate with, you know, I don't actually feel like obeying my parents today, right? So my exhortation going into 2024 is don't be Bozo the Clown. Love God, obey God, love each other wholeheartedly. There's a very famous passage about this in Matthew 22. Jesus is asked, what is the greatest commandment? And he says, beginning in verse 37, And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So God wants us to be wholehearted in our love of him. God wants us to be wholehearted in the way that we treat each other. And there are so many ways that we could apply that. But the one that I actually want to talk about is money. Specifically, tithing. We need to tithe and we we need to offer our money to God. We need to be giving to God. And if we do, we will be blessed. God will bless us if we do it with a happy heart. The scripture is full of passages about this sort of thing. You can probably think of things like God loves a cheerful giver, stuff like that. But we need to be tithing. And now that's kind of like a a bummer of a sermon for going into the new year, maybe. But, But I hope it's not actually, because I'm not actually here to say that everybody who isn't doing this perfectly is Bozo the Clown or is greedy or is selfish or anything like that. I just think when you look at the scripture, there are real blessings associated with putting God first with your money. And we want to make sure that everybody in our church has those blessings, which are huge, which are really big. And I'll be honest, this, this was something that we talked about as a staff, me giving this sermon when we were looking at the budget stuff. You know, we, ha- we pulled up some stats and we saw that there were maybe about 10 families that don't give that much. And we weren't like, ah, those terrible families, now we'll never make payroll. No, we were like, man, we should preach a sermon because these people need to know the joy of giving. And hey, our church is about three years old, I think. Um, it, It takes most people statistically about two years to come online giving when they go to a new church. Our church has only been around for three. So again, not a shame session, not a beating up everybody session, just a, hey, there's this awesome thing you could be doing session. So, so first, let's just talk about what is a tithe. I just want to answer some real quick, basic questions about that. So what does the word tithe mean? Does anybody know? Tenth. Yes, it means tenth. It means giving a tenth to God. And, and where does the number 10 come from? 
It comes from the Old Testament. There's just a bunch of examples of people giving a tenth of stuff to God. So I think one of the first ones is in like Genesis 13 or so. Abraham conquers the bad king. Lot gets kidnapped. If you remember that story, Abraham goes and gets him. He's got the spoils for the war. And then you have that mysterious priest, Melchizedek, and he gives a tenth to Melchizedek in that story. Uh, Later in Genesis, Jacob gives a tenth, I think Genesis 28. Jacob gives a tenth of everything that he has to God. In the Levitical law, the, the, you know, under Moses, the, the Israel is a nation. They gave, you could argue it's actually much more than a tenth, but they gave at least a tenth to the Levites, who were the priests who did not have an inheritance in the land. And so Christians have always had an idea that you should give something like a tenth to God. And that's what a tithe is. And if you've ever heard someone say, we present to the Lord now his tithes and our offerings, what that means is the tithe is the tenth, and then the offering, your offering, is anything that you give beyond that, right? So the big question is, does God want us to do this today? Or is that just a random pattern that we saw in the Old Testament? Well, I think the answer is yes. Obviously, I wouldn't be preaching the sermon the way I am if I didn't. So Malachi 3, beginning in verse 8, the the last prophet before Jesus, said this. Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. So this is God speaking. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. So in the prophet Malachi's day, God said, hey, people aren't tithing. They're robbing me. I, that, that money should go to me. You're supposed to give back 10% to me or whatever the number was. Now, I still haven't really answered the question because that's still the Old Testament, right? We're not in Malachi's day. Proverbs 3, 9 to 10 says this. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. So that is a universal statement. That is the kind of statement that does not apply just to ancient Israel. It applies across time, across space, across socioeconomic systems. We are always supposed to give of the first fruits. What does that mean, the first fruits? It means just when you get your check, you give something. When you get, bring in the harvest, you give something. When, when, when God blesses you, you give back to him out of it. It's like the first thing you do. It's not the last thing that you do. Some of you may, I don't know how many of you actually, but some of you may remember a sermon that Jake gave like two years ago now when we were doing Proverbs. Jake preached on money from the book of Proverbs. And one of the things that he said was, he had a little phrase, treasure tells. And what does treasure tell? Treasure tells where your heart is, right? If I'm like, I really love my kids. And then I don't pay to feed and clothe them and give them what they need. Do I really love my kids? No, my money has told on me. 
And there are people like that, right? We, you might be able to think of a situation you know with someone like that. When I was dating Meredith and decided that I wanted to marry her, which was after the first date, I decided that I needed to buy an engagement ring. And I spent more money than I had on that engagement ring. Why did I do that? Well, because the most valuable thing in my life then and now was her. I wanted to have her. I wanted to get this nailed down. I wanted to make sure she could not run away. And the way to do that was to pay money. And so the money didn't matter, right? Treasure tells. What we do with our money says a lot about our heart. So there's some negative things in there, right? God might be unhappy with us if we're not giving to him in the way that we should. If we're using our money poorly, it might say something bad about us. Some of us might struggle with greed, with selfishness. I know I do in some ways. But the big thing that I actually want to focus on today, the one thing that I want you to really take away, is that God will reward us for putting him first with our money. God will bless us. Let's look at a couple of scriptures. Let's look again at Malachi 3, uh, verse 10 again. Uh, says, Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 and 7 says, The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So we've got some pretty extravagant statements in those scriptures, and there are many scriptures like that, right? The Proverbs passage that I read earlier, but just look at these. Put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let me just say three things about that, and then we'll be done. God will bless us if we put him first with our money. If your money is bad, I encourage you to do this first. That's number two. And number three, the tighter you grasp onto something, the more likely it is to just fly away. So number one, God will bless us if we put him first with our money. Now that is, a lot of these verses that I've read, if you've been around the block a couple times, you've heard prosperity preachers and, and very bad people you know, we like to make fun of Joel Osteen. You've heard people like that use these verses in order to make you give them your money. They want your money, and so they say, hey, give your money to God, a.k.a. me, and you'll get more money. And they play on your greed, actually. They play on your selfishness. They play on your desire for more, and they say, hey, the way that this universe is rigged, if you just give your money to me, then God will give you more money. And that's very wicked. I think most of us know that's pretty wicked. Prosperity preachers also leave out really big, important things about Scripture, like the fact that God disciplines us, the fact that God uses suffering, the fact that he says we'll be persecuted. You know, there are, there are things that aren't all health and wealth about the Christian life. At the same time, 
I think sometimes, because we see the abuses of these kinds of scriptures, we're tempted to run all the way in the other direction and not see what's just obvious in these verses, which is that God does promise real blessings to those who put him first with their money. And, and I think sometimes we over-spiritualize these things. You know, we say, obviously that doesn't mean that God's going to give me any kind of material blessing. It doesn't mean what it seems to say. And so it must be some spiritual thing that I don't really understand, but I know I'll be blessed, whatever that means. Well, it's true. Blessings have to do with a lot more than money, right? And the blessings that you really want for your life have to do with a lot more than money. But number one, those blessings are awesome. And number two, I think we do see a general principle that God will bless in every way, including materially and financially, people who put him first with their money. In that Proverbs section um, from Proverbs 3, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of your produce, then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Well, that doesn't mean you'll never be persecuted. That doesn't mean that bad things don't happen to good people, but it does establish a kind of universal expectation, a, a general truism, which is that if you put God first, he will bless you. And so we want to be blessed. And I don't, you know, I feel bad that this sounds like the same language that prosperity preachers use, but when the Bible promises blessings, we want to seize those. We want to cling on to them. So the fact that we do have some families in our church that aren't doing this, that aren't seizing hold of those blessings, I'm just like, man, if we had 10 families that had never eaten pizza, we'd want to get them a pizza as soon as possible. Because pizza is delicious. I mean, imagine going through life, you never just tasted a pizza. If we had somehow 10 married couples that had never figured out what married couples do after hours, we'd want to tell them. There's a blessing that comes with being married. It's really cool. You should try it. If there were 12 or 10 or whatever, if, if, if we knew a handful of people who loved action, adventure, and sci-fi and fantasy movies, but they'd never seen Star Wars, they'd never seen Indiana Jones, they're like, dude, you've got to watch these as soon as possible. They're right up your alley. So that's kind of what I want this sermon to be. That's what I want you to take, take, take away. Like, there are real blessings that God wants to give you if you put him first with your money. Do not let the prosperity preachers, the people that abuse that truth, steal what's true about that. If you want to have the money to provide for your family, if you want to take care of things, if you want to have what you need, seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. Not seek ye first the kingdom of God and only spiritual things will be added unto you. No, all these things. Just put God first with your money. Point number two. So point number one, put God first with your money, you'll be blessed. Point number two, if your finances are bad, if you are in debt, if you don't know how to budget to save your life, if you're still working on getting that promotion, if you have different ways that money does not go well for you or has not gone well for you, I think test God in this. Put him first. Do this first. And see what God does. I mean, a lot of people, times people will say, well, if I could just get my finances in order, then we'd start to give. 
And it's like, you're never gonna give, get your finances really in order if you're not doing the principal thing with them, which is putting God first. Like that's the order number one, right? And oftentimes when you, when you pay your debts, when you, when you do the things that you should do, everything else falls into place, right? If you say, well, I am going to make sure that I give money to God first. I just think, I mean, you know, life's hard, whatever. But I just think, and I've seen it happen in my life. I've seen it happen in other people's lives. You'll start to figure out your budget. You'll start to see money come in. You'll start to see God provide for you. You'll start to see that the verses that we just read are true. But start by putting God first. You know, you, you wouldn't say like, well, I'd love to feed my kids. I think that's really important. But first I got to learn to cook and how to grocery shop. And no, it's like set the priority. No matter what, I'm going to feed my kids. And then let that dictate learning to cook, learning to grocery shop, learning how to buy Sam's Club pizza for two bucks. You'll hear people say, I mean, again, to go back to the, the, the what married people do analogy, sometimes people will say, well, we don't want to do anything after hours with each other because our relationship isn't good. And we need to f work on the relationship and figure out the relationship and get, get everything really figured out. And, and then we'll give each other what we should in terms of what married couples do after hours. And okay, maybe that's true in some cases, but usually if you're in the position of counseling such a person, what you kind of want to say is, hey, maybe if you were generous with each other and gave each other what you owe each other, some of the other relational stuff would fall in place. Like, like start by doing the work and let the other stuff take care of itself. Prioritize the big things first. Be generous. I think that's how it works with money. I think if we say, if, if, if everyone here said, in 2024, I'm going to put God first with, 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 with my money, what we would see is that budgeting and getting that promotion at work and all that kind of stuff would work itself out better. And I've seen that in my life. That was the first thing, because I was, my money was such a mess at, at some point. And the first thing that I became convicted to do was to tithe. And it's not that that was a magical bullet that fixed everything in six months, but it is that I started there and then all the other things kind of gradually worked themselves out. And I think if I had said, well, I have to work everything out first, if I was sort of tight and grasping about it, I'm not convinced that everything would have worked well in the other direction, you know what I'm saying? Um, and some of that's because of my third point, which is the harder we grasp our treasures, the more liable they are to slip away. I mean, we all know somebody like this. Maybe some of us are somebody like this. We all know somebody like this with finances, probably. Someone who's always scheming for the next thing and they've invested in the next cryptocurrency or they, you know, whatever it is. They're, they're always trying to get ahead and they never are. They're, like their whole life revolves around getting ahead and somehow they just don't get ahead. And I think it's precisely because God doesn't bless people who make an idol out of these things. But we see, we see this relationally, right? We see this when people are dating. It's something that those of us who are happy enough to be married laugh at in other, when we get to watch other people suffer through the horrific dating scene. Uh, you know, you'll watch someone who is greedy and grasping and cannot give the other person space, cannot give the other person time, cannot give the other person 
their own life. And what happens? A lot of times they lose that person. I remember when I went on my first date with Meredith, I did decide I'm going to marry her. And I went and I saw my mom and I said, I just went on a date and I'm going to marry the girl. And she said, well, Nathan, have you thought about maybe going on a second date? And I said, well, I don't think you heard me, mom. We're getting married. And she said, I really think you should think about date number two. And I said, shut up, mom. You don't understand. And that's pretty much a true story. Because I was idolatrous. I was greedy. I was grasping. And by God's grace, it was good. We got married. We're very happy. But the fact that I was greedy and grasping did not help the relationship. You know, when we came closest to breaking up, when things went the worst, it was because I was being greedy and grasping and idolatrous and saying, I must have Meredith or die. As opposed to, Meredith is a good thing that I would like and I'm submitting it to God, right? So you don't want to be possessive. You don't want to be insecure in relationships and all things, but with money. You want to put God first. So that's it. That's my exhortation for 2024. Let's all strive to put God first with, her, with our money. I hope some people actually do it, and then they come to me, you know, going into 2025, and they're like, I did that, and things are much better one way or another. I'm not promising. It's a fix-all, a cure-all. You're, you know, you'll be a millionaire by next year if you do it, but I do think you will see God's blessings if you put him first. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. It's, there's not very many places in scripture where God says, test me in this. Know what I mean? Like, that's usually bad. It's pretty famously bad. Like, Jesus, Satan tries to do it, and Jesus says no in the temptation in the desert, right? Like, we, you shall not test God. But this is a place where God says, hey, try this. See if I don't bless you. So I really want, we really want our church to have those blessings. So let's pray. Dear Father, thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your generosity. Thank you for the, the good things that you give us. Thank you for your kindness. And I pray that we would be thankful, that we would put you first, that we would be content and have joy um, with our finances and in all areas of our life. Bless us as we go into the new year and as we prioritize money and time and exercise and everything. I pray that we would do it in a way that would be glorifying to you. Thank you again for your mercies. In Jesus' name, amen.